it says it's recording. So hopefully yeah. it does. Otherwise, we're about to spend an hour and a half or an hour. The, at least. the noise that says it's being recorded came on. So I think you're probably good. Okay. The mysterious Uber conference voice. Right. I mean, there's usually like a hold song that plays when you're the only one in the conference, which is honestly kind of fun to listen to. I want to see if I can find an MP3 of it later. It's like that. It, it sounds so. It's as it's as good for like a throwaway as that um, that AT and T commercial that kept coming on with the one with the boy band this weekend. Oh yeah. Oh, I know the one. Yeah. That that song is a banger. I'm not gonna lie. I really <laughs> like it. It's stuck in my head. <laughs> Oh boy. Yeah, it's uh, some of these throwaway commercial songs they get they get the job done. Say so, uh, my favorite ones were the old uh, freecreditreport.com ones. Ooh. Oh man, JG Wentworth in the day. Oh, yep. I love JG Wentworth. Welcome back to Signs of the Southland, everyone. My name is Akshay Schwarren, and joining me from Atlanta, Georgia, and Atlanta, Georgia adjacent are Ethan Kreger and new to the podcast, Benjamin Tankersley. How are y'all doing today? Doing well. Weather down here in Atlanta has been really nice all weekend. Nice Labor Day weekend. Yeah, uh, I can't can't really complain either. Um, Akshay said uh, Atlanta adjacent. Uh, we're going to call that uh hell really uh here in athens uh for those who don't know where i'm from uh but yeah uh it can't really complain too much um most uga students and fans are either up in nashville or on their way back so it's been nice and quiet this weekend yeah much different from your the usual weekend up in hell oh yeah uh when it's a game day in athens i tend to just stay home I'd leave at that point. Just be like, <laughs> I'm gonna go the other way where there is no traffic. Well, I live far <laughs> enough outside of Athens. It's not horrible, but I I still feel it. Womp womp. All right. Uh, some miscellaneous housekeeping stuff. Uh, you can follow the from the Rumble Seat blog at FTRS blog on Twitter, uh, and you can find this podcast on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever podcast app you patron um i think we're on all of them at this point no stragglers left uh but without further ado uh let's get started ethan i know you didn't go to these games but what happened at o'keefe gym this weekend yeah the jackets had their first uh, preseason tune-up tournament and they played uh, long beach state southern and unc Asheville. dropped one set to long beach state but won all nine others so Pretty good weekend overall. One of the new freshmen won the tournament MVP, Julia Bergman. Additionally, um, setter Maddie McKissick and middle blocker Cody Comey made the all-tournament team. So good start for Tech, of course, but they started 8-0 last year in similar quality games, similar, similar quality opponents. So we need to wait a few more weeks to see some SEC teams, even a few conference games before we really make a decision on how good this team is going to be this year. Yeah, and I think one interesting thing to note, too, is Mariana Brombia was held out, uh, if I remember correctly. Um, I don't think we ever got an update if she was injured or it was just a random holdout or whatever. Um, but the box stores uh, in 
from what I saw, showed a lot of rotation. Like we got a lot of people that saw at least a set or two of action. So I think we're going to have, even if she is injured, I think we're going to have a decent amount of depth to back her up. Yeah, that rotation will probably shorten up just as uh, Josh Pastner and Michelle uh, Joseph did every year with the basketball programs. We'll probably see that shorten up as the conference play season begins and we get deeper into the schedule. Yeah, that's true. Um, next up for them, uh, we have uh, at Kennesaw State, 7 p.m. on the 3rd. So I guess that's Tuesday. Uh, I don't think there was a stream listed on ramblinrec.com, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was on ACC Network Extra. Uh, and then next weekend, Tech is hosting the Hyatt Regency Invitational uh, versus Lipscomb and Yui Pui. I'm totally saying that wrong, but it's fine. Um, and uh, Both of those games are 7 p.m. tips on the 5th and the 6th, respectively. So, yeah, lots of stuff going on. Yep, right. should be a good weekend for volleyball. Yeah, and I, I, I think it's sort of the same thing with these two teams, too. It's They're not super i mean they're not like your usual acc big 10 fair like your power teams in volleyball um but it's still good fodder for early in the season should help everyone get warmed up up to speed um right before conference play like you're saying so yep all right i think we've uh, buried the lead for long enough uh, on thursday georgia tech traveled to death valley the second fake Death Valley in America, um, in Clemson, South Carolina. Clemson won 52-14. to 14. Um, Tech seemed to have it and seemed to give Clemson uh, a little uh, bit of a scare early yeah. on, but uh, it did uh, not really end that way. Um, Clemson picked up a muffed punt uh, after their first possession, um, which had like a huge momentum swing. And then sort of just took it and ran from it from there. Um, offensively, uh, wasn't play calling wasn't particularly inspiring. I think we saw a lot of unique things, um, and y'all can uh, speak more to that than I can. But um, I think the moving pocket was a pretty good idea, uh, especially when you don't have that many athletic uh, as um, as big linemen I mean um, and then defensively uh, I think we saw a lot of positives um, so even even though he gave up 600 yards there's there's some there's a basis of foundation to build off so yeah um, Ethan you want to go ahead and uh, tell us how you felt what you felt prospects yeah. for the rest of the season so I was I was actually in Death Valley on Thursday night I was in the Georgia Tech section right behind the band and I can confirm that the energy that was starting to pick up in the Georgia Tech section, you know, as we forced a three and out against the defending national champions to open the game and we're going to get the ball back, that energy all vanished as soon as Wanya Thomas muffed a punt and Clemson took it in for the first touchdown, even though, you know, Tech put together a nice little drive after that, picked up a couple of first downs, and then ETN ripped off a 90-yard touchdown run and basically put the game away more or less at that moment. The muffed punt was definitely... The, the biggest moment early in the game, though, and the, the four turnovers as a whole, you, you just can't go into Death Valley and turn the ball over four times, commit false start penalties, 
and expect to win or even be competitive with the way that, that Clemson's played the last few years. So I thought that the score pretty fairly reflected the level of talent disparity that was out on the field in that game. But then a little bit more specifically on offense, I certainly did not love the play calling either. I understand why they were calling some of the plays they were, but I wanted more screen passes called to try and uh, try and negate the advantage that Clemson has up front and get their defensive line out having to move. And then I, I wanted more more reads for uh, both Tobias Oliver and for uh, James Graham later in the game where they could kind of scan the whole field but have some quicker looks, some slant routes, some flat routes, some things where you could get the ball quickly instead of moving the pocket and, you know, giving them only half a field to look at with tiny little windows to fit the ball into, which is, you know, certainly not their strengths as former triple option quarterbacks. Give them the whole field, spread the defense out, but give them quicker throws to try and negate the, the Clemson pass rush was kind of what I was expecting, but it wasn't necessarily what I saw. Uh, I would definitely agree. Um, I had my own issues with uh, the offensive play calling, specifically that uh, there was a point in the game where Clemson was every single play lining nine, ten guys in the box, daring Tobias Oliver to throw it, and every single time it was a run play. It's just something that, as a fan, I'm watching and I'm thinking, what is going on? Um, I think part of that is just Tobias Oliver is probably the worst passing quarterback on our roster. And that's nothing against him personally. I think he's a great quarterback, Think or not a great quarterback. I think he's a great athlete. And when he has the ball in his hands, has the ability to, to do something special. Uh, we saw it a lot last year uh, when he would come in for uh, Taquan Marshall. But Simply put, he's not a quarterback. Uh, we got to see the offense open up a little bit with James Graham. And even though he struggled a little bit with some of the short to intermediate stuff, uh, we saw some really nice passes uh, from him. Uh, I know there were two kind of intermediate to deep passes um, to uh, both uh, Josh Blancato and Marion Brown with that one going for a touchdown. Uh, I felt like it was kind of a glimpse of what this offense can actually look like. Um, on the defensive side of things, I came away very impressed, uh, despite the, uh, you know, 50 points, 600 yards. There were, uh, there's a lot to like there. Um, specifically, I think in the secondary, um, Trey Swilling had uh, just an incredible game. He was a guy I kept seeing being the play almost every single uh, time. I uh, came away with an interception, a few pass breakups. And that's against guys like Justin Ross, who's one of the best receivers in the ACC and probably, probably the, country. the country. Yeah, I would agree with that. I thought that, you know, up front, we don't have great depth on the defensive line or at linebacker for that matter, too. And I think that's probably part of the reason that you saw Travis Etienne rip off a ridiculous line of 12 carries for 205 yards and three touchdowns. This is after before the game, I made a remark to a, a Clemson fan that we were uh, tailgating with that, wouldn't shock me if Etienne went for 220 and three touchdowns. And unfortunately, my prediction wasn't too far off of what his actual line was. And I think on defense specifically, I would have liked to have seen somewhat of what Clemson was doing to us, especially with how Trevor Lawrence was struggling for portions of that game, which is not at all a common occurrence. I would have liked to see more eight-man fronts make him throw the ball, you know, one-on-one -on -one coverage because – if there's a strength of our defense, it's our corners out there on an island, as been mentioned. 
Trey Swilling had a great game. I would have liked to see a little bit more faith in him from our play calls on defense, load up the box a little bit more to try and help the line and the linebackers stop ETN. Uh, something that was actually kind of interesting, uh, at one point uh, during the game, I watched it from home, uh, they flashed up a graphic on the screen showing uh, Lawrence when he's got four guys uh, rushing versus when it was a blitz. He actually was doing much better against the blitz. So I think that probably went into a little bit of that play calling decision. Um, but my other big problem with the defense, it seems like every time uh, a big play happened, whether it be the 90-yard ETN touchdown or uh, something else, it was because uh, Georgia Tech's defense overcommitted and um, they just ended up getting beat because they were focusing on this one thing. And then Clemson is like, ha, we fooled you and did this. Uh, the main one I'm thinking about is the ETN touchdown. You see Trevor Lawrence uh, get the snap and roll out to the right and then just pass it off to Travis Etienne, who runs to the left, where there's maybe like two defenders. Um, I remember one was Christian Campbell, who got completely destroyed by a Clemson offensive lineman, and he was able to break off a 90-yard touchdown run easily. And that's something that they're definitely going to need to work on moving forward. Yeah, so I, think I will say right. I prefer it to... Uh, the Ted Roof model of defense where we line up the corners 10 yards off the receiver and wait for the play to come. <laughs> Certainly is better than that. Yeah, as for the ETN touchdown run, that's a fairly basic little draw play that they ran very effectively with uh, Deshaun Watson and Wayne Gallman back in the day too. And I'm very surprised that they didn't see that one show up on film when they were preparing for the game and at least alert the, the linebackers and the, the rest of the defense that you know Clemson likes to run this draw play when they rolled or fake roll Lawrence out to the right. So I don't know. I've, I've just certainly seen Clemson run that play before and the, the defense did not look at all prepared for it. No, they did not say so my other big problem um, throughout the game was uh, I felt like there are a handful of special teams miscues. Uh, Presley Harvin had a great game averaged like 43 or something yards a punt. But the, other than the fact that he aver or had to punt eight times, um, uh, yeah, he had a good game, but, uh, in terms of the return game, um, special teams blocking was not good. But uh, kickoff coverage, the few times that we got to see it, struggled. And Clemson got, uh, I'd say, good but not great returns, uh, which is a little discouraging because, you know, all this offseason we've heard uh, that Jeff Collins is going to start working more like starters, scholarship players into those uh, special teams alignments to really put an emphasis on it. Yeah, and that's where the talent disparity and the guys that we recruit and the guys that Clemson recruits can really show up is when you come in there on special teams and you've got Clemson backups who were four or five star recruits running down the field against, mm -hmm. even if it's Georgia Tech starters, it's three star recruit guys that just aren't quite as athletic as the, the guys that they're having to attempt to block. And I know on the uh, punt return, or no, it was a kickoff return when they finally put Amarine Brown back there to return. And he certainly looked a little bit tentative in the two returns that he had. But I think part of the problem was that there were three or four Clemson uh, kick cover team members who ran down the field and more or less didn't get touched and basically gave him no time to try to make a move or do anything before he was swarmed. Oh, is that the one where he caught it like a couple yards deep in the end zone, looked like he was going to take a knee and then ran out and got like 10 yards? That was Wanye, I believe, and that was just an unacceptable mistake. The one I'm right. thinking of was later in the game when Amarine Brown was back there, and he took the kick, and he 
the couple returns that he had, the problem that he seemed to have was that, you know, the, the best kick returners just get downhill as quickly as they can. Whatever small hole opens up, you just have to you just have to run through it instead of standing around and waiting for defenders to come to you. And that was kind of what he was doing once he got out to about the 15-yard line. And, and Clemson's team speed, good old hashtag SEC team speed, but Clemson's team speed was just too much for for our team the whole game, but especially on special teams. Yeah, and Wanya yeah. just did not have a good game. Like, he just didn't start off right. Starting with that muffed punt, and then some mm-hmm. of these returns were just – they're like like both of y'all are saying, they were just questionable return decisions off – across the board like especially when you're receiving a kickoff in the end zone and you have what like you have 11 Clemson defenders barreling down the field towards you you take a knee you put your knee knee on the ground you take you take it at the 25 it's so like some of those decisions I I think they'll get cleaned up this week but it it's not particularly heartening to see something that we were, I mean, we weren't great at special teams returns and special teams defense last year, but like what we're, we're talking about, Wanya Thomas, who had what five kick return to at least three kick return touchdowns last season. It's not super, I think it was two, it was two, yeah, it was two. Okay, maybe I'm because it was the one against people. Georgia and one other Virginia. one, Virginia, yeah, it was off of a safety punt. Oh, okay. that's right. All right. Well, I'm gonna believe it's five because that makes me sound better, <laughs> and I, I can I can afford to be a little bit more. He also had a pick six. Performance. Uh, well, yeah, I will but, definitely jump on that hype train. <laughs> yeah, I think I think it doesn't derail his hype train that we've been been riding for a couple years now. But it, it's it's certainly you know someone forgot to put coal in for a couple a couple days kind of deal. Mm-hmm. All right, any, any final thoughts on the Clemson game? Uh, are we going to talk about quarterbacks at all? Oh, <laughs> do you want to? <laughs> Is that a discussion uh, we need to be having? <laughs> I I mean, I feel like, you know, you're listening to a recap of Clemson-Georgia Tech. You have to talk about quarterback play. Yeah. yeah. At least a little bit. Um, That's true. But my main problem, um, and I think both of you would agree, we didn't really get to see what Lucas Johnson could do. Uh, he got one drive right at the end of the first half, played maybe three plays, um, and didn't do much, but didn't get an opportunity outside of that. Yeah, I think part of the reason that we only saw him for one drive in a very uh, situational role at the end of the first half when he came in, and clearly the idea was to throw passes, which is definitely his strength in comparison to Tobias Oliver and James Graham. Mm-hmm. But I think part of the reason we probably didn't see him as much as we saw the other two guys was just that, I mean, uh, Pat and and the rest of the offensive staff knew that whoever was back there was going to be under pressure and was going to have to use their legs to be able to get out of the pocket and create either, you know, an opportunity for a receiver off of a scramble or a run for themselves. And I have a feeling that coming off of an Achilles injury, he's certainly the least mobile of the three quarterbacks and possibly by far. And that in this game specifically, he may not have been the best fit for what we needed to be trying to do. Don't know I over mean, the next couple of weeks if we'll see any more of him. But but even saying that, we know, like he can still run. Like uh, there was one play I remember uh, Johnson had rolled out to the right and looks like he was about to take off running because uh, he had clear lane in front of him. Uh, Could have gotten either close to the first down or gotten the first down, but decided to third instead for an incomplete pass. Um, to me, uh, obviously, it's a small sample size, but 
he looked really timid in that game. Like he was afraid of the Clemson defense, which personally I don't blame him because uh, <laughs> George Tech's offensive line isn't exactly great. Uh, it's a very much a work in progress. There's not a lot of depth and you're going against pr- probably the best defense in the country. Um, so I, I kind of get that timidness, but it's weird to see that and then watch James Graham come in a little bit later. And he is just like the most confident person you've ever seen out there. Like just seeing the ball fly out of his hands. He takes the snap and he's just a guy like, yeah, he's a quarterback. He is here. He is ready to play. And, you know, personally, that's what I want from a quarterback. That just yeah. uh, confidence. Yeah. There was a certain swagger that he, right. that he had. That's what I was in. thinking. Yeah. And I, I mean, you saw it on that. I think it was a touchdown pass to Amari and Brown um, sometime in the second half where he just, he, he just ball comes out of his arm like a cannon. Yeah. And uh, Brown does a little, a little bit of the work too, just to get open and get into the end zone. But there was just, he, he wanted, like, of course it comes with the caveat that he's working against your Clemson backups and rotational players. But I mean, you say that, but that's still four or five star players. Yeah. That's still, that's still, <laughs> yeah. I was about to say, that's like still a starting roster in most places in the ACC and probably most of the SEC too. Like, he, it's not like he was playing against scrubs and, and he was still able to sort of sling the ball again, garbage time, but he did it with a certain sense of swagger that I, it was, it was refreshing uh, mm-hmm. to say the least. I think he's the quarterback that uh, you could see start on Saturday that I would be the least upset about. Um, but if they start to buy Oliver again on Saturday, uh, I will definitely start to lose a little bit of confidence in this coaching staff, which I know it's early, but if you can't see that he's not a good passing quarterback and you're trying to transition to more of a passing team, and you know you do have those options on your roster above the line that are better passers, I feel like that says a lot about you as a coach. Yeah, I I totally get that point of view. and. After all they've been saying this offseason, it's a little surprising that they don't want to come out here and throw more. But you do also have to take a look at the makeup of this roster on offense, uh, sorry, specifically the offensive line. And understand that for the time being, even though they want to throw, they want to be able to, you know, give the quarterback some time back in the pocket to go through a progression and look down the field. For the moment, we have an offensive line and an offense as a whole built to run the ball. We don't have a lot of playmakers on the outside that are proven. We have some that are very young who look very uh, look very talented and could be very good receivers down the road. But the, the playmakers and the experience that this team has, that quarterback is running the ball, and then elsewhere is on the offensive line uh, run blocking for the few offensive linemen who return, and then at running back, of course, with Jerry Howard and Jordan Mason, you've got lots of experience there too. So I think... Uh, you know, part of the reason we saw Oliver and part of the reason why we may see him again on Saturday is just that, you know, his strengths play more into the strengths of the offense as a whole. I would certainly not hate to see James Graham or Lucas Johnson out there, but I also wouldn't mind seeing Tobias again and giving him a shot against a, a team that's probably more Georgia Tech's level. Yeah, I guess my thing is... Uh, go ahead, Ben. Uh, I guess my thing is, you come in, you say all these things about wanting to... Um, be a more pass-focused offense. And I get it that it's going to take some time, but I think Georgia Tech threw, what, like 10 passes against Clemson? When there were times in the game where Clemson was daring us to throw it, stacking nine, 10 people in the box. Like, it's something that 
I get that you're not going to throw as much. You don't really have those uh, skill players in, but it's something that I feel like you have to start at the least getting it in there some. Yeah. No, I completely agree. And what I would like to see is play calling wise is basically what Baylor used to do back in the Art Bryles and Kendall Bryles days <laughs> and just put no receivers inside the numbers and make it just a numbers game for the defense. Are you going to you know, stack the extra guy out there to stop the receivers? Are you going to stack the extra guy in the box to stop the run and basically call RPOs with the, uh, the, the read option or the now screen every single play? I think mixing more of that in the quick RPO screen to the outside and the read option to the inside with the receivers spaced out almost to the sideline would probably help the offense move the ball a little bit better. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, that's something I've wanted even during the Paul Johnson era is a short to intermediate passing game. Because, I mean, you add that to Paul Johnson's offense, Paul Johnson's probably still coaching. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Definitely. Yeah, and I, I think I think the moving pocket that they did while Tobias was in was a really was at least a step in the right direction, right? You're taking advantage of not of having more or leaner leaner offensive linemen, uh, and having Tobias play to his strengths, running a little bootleg, uh, and then trying to throw the ball. The problem is you can't throw the ball. <laughs> Right, and a couple of those, and a couple of those passes came out wobbly. They came out uh, that his throwing arm did not look super clean. And again, it's like you said, it's nothing against him. He's just not your your prototypical spread offense quarterback. But when you saw um, Lucas Johnson come in, you saw a little bit more traditional pocket. Like you saw a little bit more traditional pass blocking. Um, so I think once uh, Lucas Johnson gets a little bit more game time under under his belt, gets a little healthier, probably like you were saying that Achilles is pro- might still be nagging him a little bit. Once he gets fully game fit, you might see them work in that moving pocket for him too. And that's where I think um, as he gets more game time, that's where I think the offense can start to open up. Yeah, I understand what you're saying there. Um, a lot of TV people, a lot of media people love to talk about the moving pocket being a good thing for an inexperienced quarterback or for a quarterback who's naturally, uh, you know, naturally a runner like Tobias Oliver is. But there's also a lot of things wrong with it, and it's why I don't really think it's a great strategy for Georgia Tech's current makeup right now. And it's just because with a moving pocket, you get two things. Number one, you've got to throw on the run. And basically, you know, every quarterback who's ever played the game is less accurate on the run than they are standing in the pocket. And then number two, you've got smaller windows to fit the ball into because the defense, once they see the quarterback rolling, is going to roll the coverage that way too. Instead of being a too high safety look, if you're back in the pocket, it turns into a one safety high, one safety shaded far over toward the sideline. And it, it really you know, changes the angles, the changes the – um, the windows that Tobias would have to fit the ball into. And I just think that, you know, giving him tiny windows to throw into, making him throw on the run is liable to cause turnovers. I mean, I don't I don't remember if any of the four turnovers were directly off of uh, bootlegs like that. I remember uh, Bo Nix throwing a pick last night off of a bootleg. Similar situation, inexperienced quarterback. They're trying to get him moving. Uh, I just think I would rather see the quarterback standing back there in the pocket with uh, quicker reads to get the ball into a, a one-on-one favorable situation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, personally, I'm on the uh, James Graham slash Jordan Yates hype train. Um, 
we didn't get to see any of Yates against Clemson, and I completely understand. Um, selfishly, I really wish he had enrolled early and gotten a more of a chance to learn the playbook. Because uh, honestly, had he, I think he would kind of be in the same boat with James Graham, where he's above the line and probably would have played on Thursday night. Uh, he's a guy I think he's got a chance to be something really special. I'm also a big fan of uh, Tucker Gleason, who's the quarterback that's currently committed to uh, Georgia Tech. Uh, I think he and Yates are both going to be pretty fun to watch here on the flats. Yeah, that that recruiting or that quarterback battle next year, year after, I think that's going to be really interesting to watch as you have uh, James Graham, who's probably gotten more game time um, and uh, – Jordan Yates coming in and if he's taking a red shirt um, if he's learning the playbook and then Tucker Gleason who's your more traditional trained spread quarterback I, I think you have a lot you have a wealth of, of talent at that position now whereas the last couple of years you've been you, you basically had a running back that can throw the ball occasionally so um, it'll be really interesting next year um, looking at that battle I definitely agree all right, so uh, let's move on to next week then. Uh, Georgia Tech will host South Florida uh, at 2 p.m. Eastern uh, at historic Grant Field at Bobby Dodd Stadium on the ACC Network. Uh, it is a whiteout on the flats. The shirts, uh, they look pretty good. Ethan, you were giving those out the other day, right? Uh, what do you think? I was, yeah. They um, they have the 404 on the front of them and the 404 the different numbers are made up of some of the different words that jeff collins has been preaching about to start his tenure here as coach you know the old grit and toughness and all the Break other ones together. effort oh boy i love the coach speak yeah so uh let's see for usf their last game was at home uh, versus <laughs> wisconsin uh, that was uh, not a fun one for uh, Charlie Strong and Blake Barnett and the boys down in South Florida. They lost 49 to nothing. Um, yeah, it's very unclear how good or how – honestly, just how good the Bulls are this season, especially after they come off of a season where they won seven straight to kick off 2018 and then proceeded to lose six games to end the year. Uh so yeah. I'll open up the floor to y'all. What do you What do y'all think about this game? The uh, spread is Georgia Tech by four. Uh, over under is sixty one points. Um, both of those numbers are pretty early, but I don't expect them to change all that much. Right, and I think as far as USF goes, that's a program that in recent years has started to pride itself on beating Power Five teams. It beat Georgia Tech and it beat Illinois last year. It beat one or two the year before when they went eleven and two. I can't remember who they beat. But they've started to start a tradition of that here under Charlie Strong. And to see them get uh, beat 49 to nothing by a, a good Wisconsin team, not a national championship caliber Wisconsin team, but a good one, was still a little surprising for a program that returns starting quarterback, returns a fair amount on offense, had some, has some turnover on defense. But looking at Blake Barnett's line as a senior, as a returning starting quarterback, you wouldn't expect – I can't, off the top of my head, I can't remember the exact numbers. It was something like 18 of 37 for 102 yards and two picks. Uh, I've actually got it up right here. Uh, It's 13 of 30 for 109 yards and two picks. 
Okay, yeah, I just remembered that his uh, yards per attempt was hovering somewhere around three or four yards, and for a yeah. senior quarterback going against anybody, that's just absolutely horrendous, and they're going to have to clean that up if they want to make even make a bowl game this year. Uh, absolutely. I was actually just looking at uh, South Florida's schedule last year, and it makes sense why they lost their last five games, uh, looking at the teams they played. Uh, first one was uh, against Houston, which always has a knack for – running up the score, being able to just score a lot of points with their air raid. Uh, lost to Tulane, who's got that Willie Fritz spread option thing. Uh, Cincinnati, who was ranked at the time. Jeff Collins, Temple. Uh, and then UCF, which, uh, I mean, they're national champions if you want to argue that. But uh, I believe that – did McKenzie? Yeah. yeah uh, that game, uh, I think, was the one that McKenzie Milton got hurt in. Uh, but he played a little bit uh, in that game. Uh, Greg McRae ran for 180 yards and three touchdowns against South Florida. Uh, we kind of saw a similar performance from Jonathan Taylor, who ran for 135 yards, two touchdowns, caught another two touchdowns. Um, and, I mean, South Florida couldn't do anything to stop him. Uh, and I think that's going to be Georgia Tech's key to winning this game is getting the ball to your playmakers and because um, I know with Jonathan Taylor, he's a bit on the faster side. So I think this could be a great opportunity for a breakout performance for uh, Amarain Brown, who is one of the faster yeah. players. Yeah, that was exactly what I was going to say. I've been on the Amarine Brown hype train for a while now. And even though, you know, when we had the one catch against Clemson, it went, went for a touchdown and he didn't look all that impressive on special teams. I would really like to see Jeff Collins and Dave Pattenaud and the rest of the offensive staff make it a point of emphasis to get him involved this week. Screen passes, jet sweeps, more routes downfield, however it may be. He's got to get the ball, especially against a defense that may not be quite as quick as Clemson's is and also has ridiculous turnover on the back end. I think they, they run a 4-2-5 and they lost either four or five of their starting defensive backs from last year. Uh, something else I noticed, I was watching the highlights uh, before we got started. Um, their linebackers are really slow. Uh, like they were trying to cover Jonathan Taylor and they just could not. Uh, so I think another thing that uh, you could see Tech play around with a little bit more uh, on their above the line chart, they've got two running back positions. Your traditional running back, which is where you're going to see Jordan Mason, Jerry Howard. Uh, but they also have what's called an all-purpose back, which uh, can line up in the backfield, flex out to the slot. You'll see a little bit more passing to them. So I think it's guys like Nate Cottrell. I think Jair Hawkins-Anderson is there. So I think you'll see those players get used a little bit more this week. Um, and honestly, I think this week would be a great opportunity to really kind of show what your quarterbacks can do with passing the ball, um, with specifically with those short passes, because uh, – Watching the highlights from that game, South Florida's intermediate defense is not good. Um, they looked lost. They looked slow. And I feel like as an offensive coordinator, you really have to take advantage of that. Yeah, getting guys one-on-one -on -one out in space, be it the all-purpose backs, the slot receivers, or even the, the bigger receivers out, outside, like your Jalen Camp and Malachi Carter, putting them in one-on-one -on -one situations with the young South Florida DBs and the slow South Florida linebackers would certainly be a, a solid starting point for a, a game plan this week. And, I mean, you're still going to see the quarterback run. Um, we're going to see that probably forever. I think there's a chance that this one could get out of hand pretty quick. Um, I didn't really see anything in South Florida's offense to make me think differently. 
Um, and I think I'm trying not to get uh, too optimistic about Georgia Tech just because I don't want my hopes to get crushed. Um, but there were a lot of good things to see in uh, that first game against Clemson. Uh, I don't think we're going to win 49 to nothing. Um, but I don't see it being quite as close as it was last year. Interesting. Yeah, I was I was not able to catch the South Florida game on I think it was Friday night, but just just to me some some amount of that opening line, I think it's Georgia Tech by 4. Some amount of that line feels like an overreaction to a South Florida team that just looked horrible in week 1 and looked better than that for stretches last year. But then again, they're also on a six or seven game losing streak now yep. dating back to last year and I, I think that Georgia Tech will be able to win this game as well even if it's a little tighter yeah I, I this four point spread is it seems light um, especially especially when you're considering Tech effectively spotted South Florida 14 points last year on kickoff return touchdowns no need to um, remind we were at folks that, we were at that game, Ethan. You you remember? Oh, I remember those too vividly. Yes. Yeah. So I think if you if you clean up some of the special teams miscues, you you emphasize, hey, let's get the ball out, let's get it out quickly, um, and you really pound the rock in that short and intermediate area with South Florida, like you're saying, Ben. Tech has a really good chance to break this game wide open potentially. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, any any final thoughts? On, on USF? Uh, I I think there's a slight chance we'll see Jordan Yates. At least that's what I'm hoping for. Um, but we're probably going to see more than one quarterback again until mm-hmm. someone really just comes out and takes that job and shows why they should be the starter. I agree. I think definitely the quarterback battle is a starting place to look for. I'd like to see our front seven, you know, come and, you know, play well after giving up 205 yards and three touchdowns to ETN now that they're facing an offensive line and skill position players that aren't nearly to the same level as the guys that Clemson runs out there. So I think this will be a good weekend for them to prove that they aren't what they showed on Thursday night. All right, so let's move on to our weekly ACC tasting menu. Yes, it's just the Coastal. No, it's the slate this weekend is not that exciting. Um, but Ben, why don't you uh, why don't you kick us off? All right. Uh, so uh, I'll get started off Friday night. Uh, UVA is playing host to William and Mary. Be eight o'clock Eastern on ACC Network. I mean, if Bronco Mendenhall knows what's good for him, he'll win that pretty handily. Um, got another couple games on Saturday that should probably also be blowouts. Uh, first one is Virginia Tech playing host to Old Dominion, uh, who actually beat Virginia Tech last year. Um, but Virginia Tech is currently a 28-point favorite, so we'll see how that goes. Uh, and then Duke is also playing host to NC A&T uh, on ACC Network Extra. And then we do actually have a couple of games that are a little bit – it should be a little bit closer. Uh, Pitt is playing host to Ohio, uh, and then Miami is uh, hanging on to take uh, the Fighting Mac Browns of UNC. So that should be a fun game. Yeah, pretty good slate uh, for the – coastal teams this week to be able to go out there and get some non-conference wins you'd like to see uva pitt uh virginia tech and duke all take care of business and get wins i think that game in chapel hill will be interesting unc as a underdog for the second straight week and this time i don't think they'll be quite as fortunate i think miami will win that game 
but you know, still another good chance for Mac Brown and UNC to pick up a quality win early in the season. I'm also a little bit confused by that Ohio at Pitt line. Pitt only favored by five and a half. Yeah, I know they didn't look good against UVA on Saturday, losing by, you know, two scores, 30 to 14. But Ohio was only, you know, a middling MAC team last year, something like seven and five. So I would certainly expect that Pitt should cover that line. Uh, I'm actually going to disagree with you a little bit about the Miami-UNC game. I actually see UNC winning that game uh, because as we saw in the in Miami's game against Florida, uh, if you can put pressure on Jaron Williams, Miami's starting quarterback, I mean, he's going to look like a freshman out there. Uh, Jay Bateman has done some decent work on that defense so far. Uh, they forced a couple turnovers in their first game uh, against South Carolina. And just like going into the fourth quarter, they were down 20-9. to nine. And they held them there at that 20 points. So I think uh, it'll be a close game. Uh, I don't know necessarily that UNC will win, uh, but I feel pretty good about them. Should be a great game on Saturday night either way. I kind of expect that line on Miami to move. Um, I I feel like that's – it either moves more towards Miami if – if we get uh, a little bit more reporting on, hey, Miami's actually comfortable. Hey, Miami's offensive line is not going to look like tissue paper this week. <laughs> um, but I, I, for an opening line, that that seems a little disrespectful for, the, I guess, the hype that Miami has gotten this season. I mean, I, I think it's mostly because you saw how bad that Miami offensive line was. Because uh, Jaron Williams got sacked like ten times in that game, and granted, Florida's uh, front four is uh, definitely one of the better ones in the SEC and in the country. But still, anytime your quarterback gets sacked ten times in a single game, it, it's not just the defense. <laughs> like you, you yeah. need to take a hard look at that offensive line as well. Yeah, they need to get some things figured out. But I also think that the guys that Miami has on defense will be able to get some pressure on uh, Sam Howell back there, UNC's true freshman starting quarterback. And I think that ultimately they'll be able to force some turnovers and come up with enough big plays to win that game, something like something low scoring, like maybe 21-14, 23-16, somewhere along those lines. We'll yeah, see. I, could see that. I could see that. Hey, a Big Ten game could break out in the middle of uh, Chapel Hill. You could see like 6-3. to three. <laughs> yeah, certainly much different UNC team than the one that Georgia Tech beat 67 to 50 a few years ago. Jeez. Man, that was a fun game. Was that in basketball? Are you sure that one was in football? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that was uh, 2012. Uh, peak Vad Lee right there. I think it was, oh, yep. Oh, boy, Vad Lee. What could have been <laughs> if we ran that oh, yeah. diamond formation like more than once? That Paul Johnson season. hated. Uh... <laughs> memories such good oh, yeah. memories oh, yeah. all right moving right along into our big balls paul's calls of the week uh ben this is a bit of a tradition we have on the show mm-hmm. um you know for how long we've been doing this it's not that big of a tradition but i digress um right. so we basically pick a game every week um sometimes we get weird with it i know that jake has a long-standing obsession with picking big 10 games Cade <laughs> once tried to pick uh, these games based on uh, historical figures. I think it was like UCLA Cal. Uh, yeah, and it, it got was a little Stanford weird. Cal. It was like it got a little <laughs> weird, so I think I ended up cutting the cutting that part of the audio. Um, but yeah, 
So, Ethan, you wanna you wanna go first and show Ben how it's done? Uh, I don't know about that, but I can go first. Um, we got the battle of the group of five powers out of Florida this weekend. Uh, UCF, the 2017 national champions, head down to take on uh, Florida Atlantic and Lane Kiffin. Uh, definitely one of the more interesting group of five games of the year. Uh, I think UCF is favored by eight there. I'll take UCF to cover that one. I think uh, Lane Kiffin and his staff there have done some good work, and they've got a pretty good team. You know, they're competitive up in Columbus this weekend, but it's going to take them a little while to get up to the level of the UCFs, even at the Group of Five world. That line is low. That needs to be uh-huh. at least twice that, and I expect it to move that way too. Oh, yeah, absolutely. We'll see. Fort Atlantic covered on Saturday, so they, they didn't look too bad. All right. Uh, well, I guess I can go next. Um so I'm actually going to use a game that we actually talked about earlier, uh, Old Dominion, uh, heading over to Blacksburg to take on Virginia Tech. <laughs> uh, I'm going to, you know, uh, like I mentioned earlier, Old Dominion won this game last year. and They sure did. Uh, granted, Old Dominion is not a good team, uh, but I'm not convinced Virginia Tech is either. I'm going to take Old Dominion to cover. It's a solid pick. I could definitely see that game being closed for a little while and causing a little bit more consternation among the Virginia Tech fans after last year. Right. Oh boy, if they lose two in a row to ODU, <laughs> there might be some fires in Blacksburg. About to say, if they lose, uh, Justin Fuente doesn't make it through the year. He might. Not I'm not sure he does anyway, league. but he might not. That make it that the would guarantee it that he would not make it through the year. Yeah, yeah I, he's I, gone. I agree with that one. Um, and so to round out the slate, I will be taking Nebraska versus Colorado. Uh, that is a three thirty kick. Uh, on Fox, this is an old Big Ten rivalry or a Big Eight rivalry. Kind of excited for this one to come back. NU versus CU. Nebraska, they looked they looked sketchy uh, for portions of that game versus South Alabama this week. But hey, uh, uh, Diedrich Mills got a couple of touchdowns in that game, so he did. I think his yeah, final line cool. was like fourteen carries, fifty five, fifty six yards. Mm-hmm. So. Honestly, did pretty good. Um, Scott Frost in year two, I mean, you got to do better than um, struggle to beat South South Alabama, my guy. I mean, hey, you saw year two at UCF for Scott Frost. That was pretty good. That was pretty Kansas, good. Baby. <laughs> um, Nebraska, for some reason, is ranked, ranked like, what, 21st, 24th? I have no idea how they got there after starting 4-8 and eight, or going 4-8 and eight last year. Um, but apparently Husker Nation has a ton of hype in this uh, this season, so we'll see how it goes. Uh, however, Colorado looked really good versus Colorado State. Um, that was a really good rivalry game to watch on, on Friday night, I think it was. Um, so I'm going to go against what I have written down here and say Colorado covers uh, 7.5. Ooh, I don't know about that. I don't know. It's it's weird because Nebraska. I think Nebraska is all smoke and no, no fire. We'll see. Yeah, I'm not convinced that Nebraska is a good team this year either. I think I don't know which way that game will go. I I have no doubt they're a good team. I I don't think they're as good as the polls and the media are giving them credit for. I mean, I don't think Colorado is much better. Um, I mean, first year head coach. I mean, really, what are we going to be able to know about them at this point? That's true, but I think they, I think they still lose, but it's not going to be by a touchdown. 
It's gonna it's it's gonna come down to the wire, I think. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. So in recap of last week's picks, uh, I picked Oregon to cover three and a half, and then they lost Oof, by six. Bad beat there. The <laughs> yep. Minutes. That's okay. Ethan, I picked Oregon have? to win that game. Yeah, so did Ethan, I. What do you have? What do you have? I had uh, had ECU on the road and Carter Finley playing NC State, and they very nearly covered that one. They got down early, but kept fighting. And missed a cover by a point and a half, unfortunately. So I watched no. the highlights from that earlier, getting the around the ACC article ready. That game wasn't as close as the score would indicate. Oh yeah, no, it was not. No, no NC State. I'd say uh, NC State's quarterback is really good. That's the, for that. that was brief clips I saw. That's a major question mark heading into this year, whether they would be able to replace Ryan Finley, who was who had something like 66% of their total offensive yards per game something last like year. So. But I, I mean, want to say uh, the new quarterback threw for like um, close to 300 yards if he didn't, uh, a few touchdowns, or maybe not a few, but at least one touchdown, I think had another one on the ground. Like pretty solid. He played really well. Pretty, that's a pretty solid yeah, line. And ECU saw. did not look competitive in that game <laughs> at all. Uh, I think NC State was able to move the ball with reckless abandon at various points during that game. I don't think ECU, I, I don't even remember how many total yards ECU had, but it can't have been that many. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking at it. Uh, I, th- I think you actually got your score wrong on that. Because uh, I'm looking it up. Uh, NC State won 34 to 6, not 24 to 6. Oh, that seemed that more resembles the game I was watching, even if oh, yeah. the score was a little more wrong. Yeah, NC State was clearly the better team on Saturday, and ECU coming off of a two and ten year has a long way to go to get back to being competitive. Yeah, uh, oh, but wow. I found the line. Uh, McKay, who's that NC State quarterback, finished uh, twenty five of thirty seven through uh, three hundred eight yards and a touchdown, at another thirty five yards and two touchdowns on the ground. That's a really right, good well, game. All right, well, Ben, now I have to update Ethan's record and put him at first in our little table here, so thanks for that. <laughs> All right. uh, to round out the slate, Jake, who is not with us this week, uh, picked Northwestern to cover seven and win outright, and they <laughs> did neither of those things in arguably the the worst beat of <laughs> this season. It was season the worst so beat far. of the week. Oh, yeah. That is, oh, my yeah. God, a... A fumble, a scoop and score as time expired for Stanford to win 17 to 7 on the farm. <laughs> that is, I, I really hope any of y'all listening did not have money on that game because. Yeah, that, that's, right. that's a really bad beat. Yeah. I don't remember any, if I picked that one or not. I think I picked Northwestern to a Northwestern plus 7 and lost. So, womp womp. Ouch. Yeah. All right, any final thoughts on Clemson, on USF, our ACC tasting menu? Uh, I don't have anything. I think I'm good, too. All See right. This weekend. All right, so from beautiful San Francisco and Atlanta and Atlanta adjacent, this has been Signs of the Southland. Uh, we will see you all next week. Peace out. Oh,